Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Welcome to Leave the Pin In Podcast on the Bring in the Heat Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dan, and I don't have my normal co-host, Scott, on with me today. He's too busy purchasing a new pair of shorts to wear in every pro-am he plays in. But I got a better replacement. Today I'm joined by a man who in two days is going to tee it up in the Puerto Rico Open, Mr. Jason Gore. Jason, what's the good word? It's warm and I'm wearing shorts. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. You're doing a lot better than I am, brother. I'll tell you that right now. Um, so real real quick, can you just talk about kind of, we'll get into your intro to golf and all that stuff, but how you got into the field at Puerto Rico, and, and also, um, what does it actually look like there? Are you still seeing devastation from the hurricane? Yeah, I mean, I, I, got, I got into the tournament on my number, you know, coming back from RSM and being a past champion, so... Um, yeah, you can still see remnants. Like, usually the hotel we stay at, we stay at the Grand Malaya, which is right next to the golf course. It's still closed. Um, you know, this is a woe is me thing, but we don't have any food on property, and it's kind of, we don't have courtesy cars or anything, so there's actually a food truck parked outside of our hotel, which is still on property, but they're just a different, they're called the residences, but... Um, it's actually been really cool. You go down there, and basically the whole field's down there. You just hang out and, you know, catch up with some old friends because there's some old guys like me in this tournament that, um, you know, that are, that are playing again. We haven't seen each other in a few <laughs> few minutes, and um, so it's actually been great. Very cool, very cool. And, um, so yeah, the, the, the island, from what I've seen, is definitely coming back to life, and, um, you know, it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure you guys being there in the presence of the tour is only helping to facilitate that, you know, and, and have it move even quicker. I, I would, I would hope so. I mean, I know they canceled it last year, and, and understandably so. But um, you know, the, the people of the island come here and they watch us, and, and there's just a general happiness for them to be here, and we love having them here, and. Um, it's just, it's a great thing. They donate a lot of money to charity and hopefully, you know, towards the rebuilding projects and what they got going here. And, um, should be a great week of golf. That's very cool. How have, and I'm assuming you've played some practice rounds already there this week. Yeah. Yes. I, I played nine holes today and, uh, I got nine hole pro-am in the morning. So, um, you know, at my tender age of 44 with a, with a bad back, you kind of got to do a little conserving. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing, I've been sitting on more ice packs than I have deep swing. So, <laughs> um, it happens. It's just, uh, it's, I, I feel great. Everything's good. It's just, you know, it's for, uh, conservatory reasons. And that's completely understandable. Um, how, how has the attendance been at some of the practice rounds there? I mean, are you, you guys getting people, um, on site, on the course, following? Uh, not really. It's been pretty quiet here. Um, we've had kind of like a few squalls of rain. So, you know, it'd be nice for 10 minutes and raining for 10 minutes and nice for 10 minutes. So it's kind of, we just have, I guess we've had a different wind here. So it's bringing, there's a, there's literally a rainforest 
you can look right up the mountain where the soil, I think it's the, the wettest place in the earth. So what I've heard, I don't know if that's true or not, but, um, so when your wind comes from that direction, I believe it's south, east. I, I don't know. Like I'm making this up. <laughs> it sounds great. Um, so when the wind blows from that direction, it blows all these little squalls down and, uh, so you get a little rain, but I think the, the weather's, I think it's the wind's supposed to shift and, um, we should be pretty great for the rest of the week. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so for those out there that follow the podcast that don't know you, could you go a little bit into your introduction to golf? And by that, I kind of mean like your junior golf career. We'll hit on you know your your collegiate experience and and all the amateur work that you've done, uh, you know within golf. But how did you get into golf? Was was there a specific person in your life that introduced the game to you? Um, I kind of, it, it happened very strangely. I, I'm, I'm a baseball guy. I grew up playing little league, always loved the game of baseball. Um, and my dad was a, was a, a wrestler at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. So he was a college wrestler. Um, and as you can figure, if you, if you don't know me, I'm a rather biggest person. I have lost 50 pounds, but, um, I'm like a thick, you know, stocky guy. So he was the same, and he maybe got maybe went a little bit past that thick, stocky, um, you know, stature, mm-hmm. and got maybe a little chubby. So um, <laughs> my brother, who's, who's ten years older than me, bought him a set of clubs, and I think my dad was like, you know, my mom said, "Hey, it's your day to watch this kid." You know, I think I was eleven. Dragged me out to the golf course. Um, we were very lucky. I was very lucky. We went and hit balls and ended up getting a lesson the first time I ever ever hit balls. So we, there was a great teacher there at this Valencia golf course in California that um, he was, I believe, the California teacher of the year a couple times. He's a, he's a Hogan guy and all this all this good stuff. He's a big-time researcher of the golf swing. And he had a half-hour open, and I hit balls for maybe 20 minutes, and he walked over, and the oh, next thing I know, I'm getting a lesson. And... I was hooked. So for like the first six to eight months of hitting balls, we kind of just, the only thing, the, far, the biggest club I could hit was seven iron. My dad and, and Greg wouldn't allow anything else. So Greg wasn't there one day, and, you know, I want to go out and hit balls all the time. And my dad went up to get a Coke. And um, I, I reached over in the bag, looked around, had a three wood there. It was a Northwestern three wood. I mean, you can't make this thing was the biggest pile of junk ever. <laughs> but I teed, I teed up three wood and hit this smash slice. And I just, my eyes must have been, you know, the size of silver dollars. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. And I think I hit like 20 balls from the time he went to the Coke machine to get back. I mean, they were just rapid fire, just hitting three woods. And then as soon as I saw he turned around and grabbed seven iron again, like, you know, <laughs> like a true 11 or 12 year old would do. And it's like, no, no, I didn't hit any three. <laughs> and I, I knew at that point, just watching that ball just take off the club face. And I was always a pretty good athlete. And I'm just like, okay, that was the coolest thing I ever seen. And um, then for the next three or four years, until I got my license, he every time he got home, he I made him take me to the range. So I was super fortunate that I had a you know very supporting mom and dad, and and they were uh, they were pretty awesome, but. And then I grew up. At that point, I didn't wasn't allowed to play in a tournament until I was fourteen. Until I got good enough to not embarrass myself, 
and um, ran into the kid. I think his name was Eldrick. <laughs> Eldrick Wood. Um, and watched him. Like, I paired with him on one of my first times ever. And it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to beat this guy. And at this point, and, he's, and, he's two years younger than you or one year? He is like 18 months younger. Okay, gotcha. But he was playing a division up because nobody could, you know, he wasn't playing in the 12, 13, he was playing in the 14, 15, even the 17, 18, or 16, 17, because nobody could beat him. And so, like, I just watched this, and it turned into, like, I wanted to be, I even wanted to be Tiger Woods back then. <laughs> so, um, still do to this day at 44. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of played him, and one day, I played out of my gourd, and, and um, I ended up getting into a playoff with him at, oh gosh, what was the name of the golf course? Griffith Park. And I ended up, he beat me on the second playoff hole, and he'll still tell this story. He goes, I, he goes, yeah, man, you got so mad, you ripped like this whole branch off this tree. I'm pretty sure it was like a stick. But he makes it sound like I ripped the branch off a of redwood. I mean, I remember it was a staked tree because my bag got caught on the stake. So, like, I probably walked by and, like, grabbed, like, a limb off of it and broke it, you know, like, being a little bratty 14-year-old or whatever. And I was pissed off. But um, at that point, it just kind of kept getting better and better and better. And we, him and I got on Junior America Cup teams. And, and it was just, um, I knew at that point, somewhere along that line, this is all, that's all I ever wanted to do. It never gave me a second, second plan. I just wanted to be a professional golfer. That's that's pretty awesome. Listen, I I don't want to talk about Tiger, right? Because this is all you. But I I just have one question because it is rare when you get to speak to somebody that has seen Tiger play from literally the the junior kid ranks all the way up to where he is now, and 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 you have. I mean, growing up in that area uh, on the West Coast. So the the only question that I have is at thirteen, fourteen years old. You know, when you were that age. And, like, if you can remember what your parents thought and stuff, was there just this general consensus that even at 12, 13, that Tiger was just otherworldly, that he would change the game? Or was it more along the lines of, yeah, I mean, this this kid's, like, real good, but I'm sure there's someone on the East Coast that can beat him. I'm sure there's someone in Florida. There's got to be someone in, in Ireland that can beat him. You know, he was, he was all world. I mean, we knew he was all world, and it was just whether he was going to burn out or not. Gotcha. Because there were a lot of young kids that came out of that Southern California Golf Association program that were really good. And once they kind of just got away from their parents, the Tigers' parents were, uh, they weren't tough on him, but I know they were demanding. How about that? Yeah. Like, yeah. I knew his mom was there all the time, and she'd take notes of his, of his rounds, and he'd go back and talk to, talk to his dad about how he played, and and you know, like they were, they were involved in this game. I, I don't know, like what happened behind closed doors. I'm not gonna ever. I'm, he was, he was always positive. Every time I was around his, his parents, they were positive. So, um, but yeah, he was just whether he was gonna burn out or not. You know, and boy, was I wrong about that. <laughs> were you? Were you under the... Out. I mean, the guy, the guy loved the game. I mean, I think that's that's shown. But you know, it was just the idea of whether he would just kind of lose interest because he was so good at it at that early age that he would just kind of get to college and, you know, discover other things. And, but he never did. I mean, he, 
he, he kept that, that laser-like focus the whole time and, and just kept getting better and better and better. Yeah, that's that's such a good point because like it's funny that you mentioned that your dad was a wrestler. I grew up wrestling, and I wrestled throughout college, and so many of the kids that I was on – uh, you know, like junior national teams with um, completely once they went to college, just like, nah, I'm done, you know. And and, and I saw that a lot with myself, too. I, I literally burnt out in college because it was just too much. You know, it was a full-time job, and I was the first in my family to go to college, and I really was so hardcore focused on my academics and realized that, you know, waking up at 4 every morning for – a uh, five-mile run and then an hour-and-a-half lift and then being in classes and a three-hour practice just was going to be completely counterproductive to my grades. So it's it's funny that, you know, it that didn't stop him, that he kept going. And, you know, I mean, I, I think you'll agree he's probably the greatest grinder in any sport, not just golf. Well, I, I think what a lot of people, and I'm, 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 I probably shouldn't say a lot of people, but I think people don't realize how smart Tiger is. Yeah. So I think a lot of things, even schoolwork, came really easy to him. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, he, he, I don't know what he got in GPAs, but I know I didn't get into Stanford. How about that? Right. I mean, yeah, I mean. So I don't know what, like, I don't know what his GPA was. I don't know what his SAT scores were, but he got into Stanford. No problem. He survived in Stanford, left early, which is, Understandable. I mean, the guy won the Masters, I think, in his what would have been his junior or senior year. Right. Right. So, I mean, at that point, it was he, he was just he's super smart about a lot of things, especially you know at that age about time management. So, I mean, I know he didn't flunk out of Stanford. So, I mean, I, I think he, you know, he, I think a lot of things came very easy with him because of his hard work. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's underestimated with him is his mind. You know, I mean, gr- granted, the, the physicality of his swing, you, you know, back in, in 2000, it was probably the purest thing that's, that's ever been seen. But the way he would dissect a course, which other people would not do, um, kind of set him apart. Um, but you played, yeah. you played on an NCAA championship team at Pepperdine. And... You won the Walker Cup, so that's well, an, a, our team. Walker, right, 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 right. Your team, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but obviously, you know, you're part of that, and you've got this just kind of amazing amateur career. I mean, there's not too many people that go off to win a national championship, and then to win the biggest yeah. team amateur championship. Am I wrong in saying that the biggest team amateur championship? Right, the Walker. No, Cup? But no, you're not wrong. I mean, Walker Cup is. Anytime you can, you're able to represent your country. It, it's a, it's a it's an absolute honor, and, and you know we kind of we had a great team, and we knew we had a great team. I, I think I went two zero and one, and I think we, I think we were up seven to one after the first day, maybe eight nothing. I, I think we kind of shut them out. Like it was, it was a good old fashioned whooping. So. Um, you know, we, we just had a great team, and especially, like, our college team. At Pepperdine, we'd had everybody on that team. I'm using a uh, a goodwill hunting line right here. <laughs> we we would have taken a baseball bat to anybody else's head for each other. <laughs> you know, like that, that's, that's, what, that's the way we were. We, we were all Southern Cal. Well, most of us were Southern Cal kids. There was a few, but 
you know, our, the, root of, the root of our team were all Southwest kids. We all knew each other for a long time. We all loved each other. We'd all done anything else for anything for each other. And I came down with a one-shot lead on the last hole, leading as an individual. And we had a guy who was our teammate the year before because our coach had chicken pox and was sequestered to his room. He couldn't leave his room. So he was happened to be in town for a Hooters tour event. Kevin Marsh was his name. He just finished playing with us the year before. He just graduated. And I'm standing on the 18th fairway, and I go, how many shot lead do we have? And it's part five, and I'm getting my third shot, and he goes, we got a seven-shot lead. And I go, I look right at him and go, well, I don't think I'm going to make an 11. <laughs> so we said we had a five-shot lead. I said, I don't think I'm going to make an 11. And I, I, I tried. I made seven. I lost, I lost individuals by shot and by getting into the playoff. But our team won. And I didn't care. That was like the coolest thing that our team won. I could have been an NCAA individual champ. I could have. I, I didn't care. I would have traded it all for that moment that we had hugging on the 18th green as a team. It was awesome. That's an, I mean, that's an awesome story and I think shows the power of you know, collegiate and amateur athletics. I mean, because you look at the names of the NCAA champions in the past, and it's it's long and illustrious. Your name could have been on that, but your team wins, and you probably feel like I won as well. Yes, and that was that was the most important thing. Like it was just like I said, man. We all loved each other, and that was the most important thing. And, and just being able to share that as a team, especially you know, like I came in from University of Arizona. And I didn't get released from my scholarship. So I, I wanted to actually go to UCLA or USC, but I didn't get released from what was now the Pac, what was in the Pac-10. So it was like I kind of went to Pepperdine. It's like, yeah, a couple of my buddies play there. I'll go. And it turned out to be the greatest decision of my life. So the greatest thing that happened, that happened to me at that point. Now, do you talk to any of those guys still that are on the team? All the time. Yeah. All the time. We're actually having a, um, a reunion I think there's all six of us on the championship team going to Vegas, and like we're having like a Pepperdine golf reunion next week in Vegas. So um, we're all going to get together and, and hang out and join. So I mean, I haven't had a drink in seven years, so I don't know what I'm going to do going out in Vegas. <laughs> but, um, I mean, that, I that's so I didn't, I didn't quit because I had a problem. My best friend went to AA, and I'm just like, you know what? I'll quit with you. It wasn't like I was. Giving up a lot, but yeah, well, that's very. You can't cool. keep a temple like this by drinking. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that's what an awesome story. I mean, six lifelong friends right there. You know? Yeah, it was. Uh, it, was it was fun. Um, did you know? And and I got a question in on Twitter. Uh, if you don't mind, real quick, from Sharanko forty four, and he asked, "I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a golfer, or." He might he probably plays golf but doesn't understand kind of the pro tour as much and he he says how do you become a tour pro can you just say that you're a tour pro and you can just do that but can you yep. you absolutely you you absolutely can but if you want to make any money you better be pretty good right so my question to you is would you mind explaining your mindset let's say once you leave Pepperdine I mean. Obviously, you finish. What did you finish in the NCAA's individually? Was it second? 
Third. It was third. third. Okay. So you finished third. I mean, you have a chance to win it. You know you're good enough against the top collegiate players. Obviously an illustrious amateur career. Did you know before you left Pepperdine that, you know what, I could be a touring pro, I can do this, or did those NCAAs solidify your choice? How did that come about? Well, I mean, it's like later in that summer, I'll just preempt this, you know, preempt this, my answer with this story. Um, later on that summer, I went and played in a few amateur events. I won the Pacific Coast Amateur. I played in the Ventura City Amateur. Right, I won that by 17 shots. It was a three-day event, playing against you know college kids and and some of the best amateurs around. I had won the California Open. After I won the California Amateur, um, I won the Open as an amateur, so I beat those pros, and I beat them by five or six shots. And so I just kind of knew, like, okay, like maybe I can. And you know, at that point, I would think I was 22 or three, just. You know, I, I had it all figured out. I was, you know, I was, you know, I was better. And who doesn't think that at 23? Right? right. I mean, I'm better than you, and I know it. You know it. And it's like Global Gym. Um, <laughs> sorry, I like my pop culture. Um, so, you know, and I, I went to, when I, the day I turned pro, on September 16th, 1997, I walked out of my living room and found my dad dead. Oh, jeez. He died of a heart attack on the day I turned professional. So that's why, I don't know, like, I went to Boise after I won um, 84 Lumber that year because they asked me to come. They gave me my first sponsor's invite, and they've always been good to me. Jeff Sanders and everybody at Boise, Idaho, have been awesome in there over the years, and I I told them I was going to do it, and I did it. So I went back. I, they had to get, do, like, a special thing. To have a tour winner playing a wedding or in a nationwide tour event at that point. Right. Um, so I went back and did it, but, you know, I, that knocked me off my rocker for a little bit. You know, my dad was kind of my guy when it came to golf. My mom was always the, the, my personal side. Like she knew I, she, she was, she was my best friend, and my dad was my golf buddy. Right. You know, and then that, that was the thing. And he never played, he just drove around the cart and, you know, and told me not to do the chicken wing. Yeah. I still have no idea what he means. No <laughs> chicken wing. So anyway. And he probably um, just loved seeing you enjoy yourself out there. Yeah. Like he was just like, he was an athlete and he just loved, you know, that his son was, did the same thing. So, um, so yeah, that kind of knocked me off my, my kilter for a little bit. And I had Q school like a month later. I breathed through first stage. I breathed through, breathed through second stage and played terrible in third stage. But still, at that point, I'd gotten my Nike tour card at that point and kind of thought, like, okay, this is where we're going, and here we go. Let's go. And I struggled. Struggled my, my tail off. And, you know, it wasn't until 2000 that I really broke through and won and then got my tour card and kind of up and down ever since then. So... You know, for a long time, I used my dad's passing as an excuse. And I, I wish I didn't. I wish I would have just taken it and been like, all right, this is what he wants me to do. Keep going forward. But it was like to a point of, oh, you know, my dad just died. I don't know. I don't have anybody to talk to, B-O-O-H-O. So um, I used that as, as, a, as a crutch. And 
Yeah. And I know he didn't want me to do it, and I certainly shouldn't have done it. So, right. um, you know, maybe I wasted a few years of my career doing that, but to, to be a professional golfer, to go back to a long story short, um, you know, if you make money at something, it's a profession. If you spend money to do it, it's a hobby. <laughs> so yeah, that's the truth. You can, you, can, um, you can be a professional golfer. Anybody down the street, you know, your neighbor down the street, you never touch the club, you can say, yeah, I'm a professional golfer, but it's just the idea if you can make the money at it, if you can make money at it, or if, you just, if it's just a hobby. So, yeah. you know, in the last few years, professional golf has been a hobby for me, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I don't um, I, I definitely do. I want to get into that because I think your story is just so fascinating. You talked about a little bit of the rise and, and fall of it. Um, so I'm assuming when you left Pepperdine, you had no desire to use the psych degree. No. Okay. All right. No. So, you know. I still, I still have trouble spelling <laughs> So you've got, I, I want to run down some of these professional accomplishments because you talked about highs and lows. Um, and I got another question on that in a bit, but some of these are like crazy pro accomplishments that a handful of people have done. So you win the 84 classic, right? Out in Pittsburgh. Yes, sir. Well, Nem and Colin around Pittsburgh. And you know, that, that's with a field that includes Phil, VJ, uh, JD, when that occurs, do you feel like the greatest golfer in the world when you win a PGA Tour event? Or is it something more along the lines of, hey, you know what, I got hot this week and I got to keep grinding? Well, at that point, um, you know, I, I played, I was in the final group of the U.S. Open and shot my temperature just about. Right, um, that was 2005, was correct? Yep. Shot 84 in the final round, tried to go out and win the U.S. Open, and you don't do that. You know, stick to your game plan and plot your way around. But I tried to I tried to win the U.S. Open and ended up, you know, punching me right in the head. And um, after that, I came out, I finished 10th my first by the Nationwide Tour event that week, at that point, Web.com Tour. And then I won the next week. I took two weeks off. I won again, took another week off, and won again. Right, and we should let stars. we should let people know that you still hold the record for most Web. dot com tour wins. I do. It's like it's like Crash Davis. <laughs> it's like the most minor league home runs, you know. <laughs> and, and, and that's uh, and that's seven wins, right? Seven wins. Yeah, yeah seven on the Web. dot com tour, and obviously that's you know uh, Nike Nationwide Tour. Uh, it's gone through a, a ton of iterations of, of sponsors, but now known as the web.com tour. Um, can you tell us about the 59 you shoot at the Cox classic? <laughs> well, my coach was out there that week. It was, it was a good buddy of mine. Um, I was, I had pink eye, but I'd gotten, I had to do an outing somewhere. I think it was in green Bay, Wisconsin. And I ended up getting pink eye somehow. I had no idea. Because if you look back at the old pictures, I'm wearing sunglasses like on my hat. So you're telling me so that I you guess, you reach golf's holy grail shooting a 59 with pink eye? Well, I, I had gotten medicine and it was getting better, but the first day I had like double vision. <laughs> I could even park, right? And it got it got better. And I see off in the afternoon that next day, 
and I was hitting it so bad on the range. I told my coach, my buddy, I'm like, just get out of here. Let me win this. Let me let me loot. let me miss this cotton. I'll win next week. I actually I actually told him to leave in so many words. Did he leave? Right? Because he's like trying he's like trying to help out and I'm like, dude, just go away. Yeah. Right? Just let me miss this cut. You know, just I don't care. I just want to get out of here. Like uh, you know, so I go out and I shoot four under on the front, I bogey ten, and I you know, I played my next eight holes in twenty four shots, I believe is what it was. <laughs> oh my god. Like, it, it was just a joke. Like, it, it, the golf course wasn't brutally difficult, but, this, you know, I hit it four feet on the next, on one home, on 11, which was the second hole in Omaha, the champion's run, which is a converted par five. I hit it out of the rough, right? There's nine irons from, like, 160 to, like, four feet. I birdie the next hole. I drive it on the green on the next hole. The next hole is 410, and I hit it on the front fringe. <laughs> that is dirty. And the next hole is this, this Unreachable par five, and I smash a drive down there. I was in it so far back then. Um, I smash a drive and hit two iron on the front and make like a sixty footer. And then I have I make I have this fifteen footer down the hill for par for birdie, and I knock it ten feet by and I make it coming back. So that, there's par, and then I hit an eight iron into this par three and I hit it to a two feet, and then we get to nine and nine was drivable. It's like. 295 front or something like that. And there's a weight on the tee, and I'm playing with Benny Bates and Vance Vizio, two guys that are just absolute legend, legendary great people, right? So there's a weight, and I walk up over, and it's like I'm standing there, you know, getting ready to hit my 58th shot. <laughs> and I walk over next to them because they're, they're talking, and both of them just, like, split. They just both leave and go in opposite directions. And I walk over to my caddy, and I go, I'm throwing a no hitter right now, right? He doesn't answer me, and I'm like, "Oh crap! Like, this is happening, right?" <laughs> I've heard about this, you know, on the bench of baseball games. Like, dude, you're throwing a no hitter, right? They don't want to be that guy to to, uh, to ruin it. Yeah, because the and, next uh, pitch is a home run the over green the fence. Clears, I hit. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I said the next pitch is a home run over the fence when you tell the pitcher that. That's right. <laughs> so, um, I hit driver. I hit this high cut driver in there about 20 feet from the hole. And almost broke the back of the cup. <laughs> I mean, it hit the back of the hole so hard, like dead center, and just bounced up and like and went straight down. And then that was it. That's that's incredible. 59. Now, had that been done? I, I don't know if you know this, but had had that been done on the nationwide tour at that time? Yes, it was actually done twice. I think Nota the Gay did it. And Doug Dunnicky did it. Doug Dunnicky three part of his last ball to shoot fifty nine. He had like an eight footer or twenty footer to shoot fifty seven. Wow! Wow! On a part seventy course. Wow! But uh, yeah, so it had been done before. But you know, at that, at that point, all I was trying to do was make the cut, and I ended up throwing my well. I was trying to get myself in contention. Like I already was, you know, eight nine under par, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna make the cut. Now let's see if we can do something and get in contention. So it was uh, that was pretty fun, and I, I tried to do it on Sunday again. I had eight birdies in a row on Sunday. Now, did your so, did your coach end up leaving, or did he stick around? No, he stuck around. He just okay. ended up leaving the range. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. That's good. Um, so, last one about 
kind of your pro playing career, uh, you made a double eagle at Torrey Pines, right, an albatross. Uh, can you tell us about that? Was it one of those – did you see it – first off, did you see it go in? Did you know it was pure leaving the club face? And who were you playing with at that time? Do you remember the guys in the group? Playing with Scott Piercy and – oh, shoot, I don't remember the, the other guy. It might have been Kyle Stanley. I, okay. I don't remember. I don't, I don't know if it was Kyle or not, but I remember seeing Scott Piercy because he was the first one that kind of came up to me and – Gave me high five on the video, but um, yeah. So I'm standing there, and I've got like two forty something front on eighteen at Tory, and then he kind of talked about um, laying up, and then the wind kind of turned down, and I grabbed, you know, Caddy and I tried to talk two iron, you know, thinking, well, I can fly two iron, just kind of get it to the front, and I, you know, he kind of got close to standing over, and the wind. It wasn't windy. It was the day before. It was like when Brant Snedeker won, and it was psycho windy. Oh, that was so it nuts was that round. It was a beautiful day. And he goes, I like three woods. Just cut three woods starting at the, you know, the CBS sign and just let it leak in there. I'm like, I love it. So I took it, and I hit the shot, and it felt good. And it started right at it. I started right at the CBS sign and just big, you know, started cutting. And I saw it land. And I kind of started walking back over towards the bag. And then I thinking, then I see it kind of crawling up the hill. <laughs> and now I'm a little bit more interested. So now I'm kind of watching it. And you hear the crowd kind of go, oh, you know, because it, it elevates in, in noise. And you just see it disappear. And I was it. But yeah, I saw the whole thing. It was awesome. I was just hoping somebody got it on camera because we were in the. We were in the hot dog group, you know what I mean? Yeah, like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the Gore, the Gore Piercy and somebody else. I like, we got a hot dog. <laughs> yeah, got to go to the bathroom now. <laughs> so, um, you know, seeing off the back nine on on Saturday. So uh, it, was, it was really cool. I'm just glad they got it on camera. Have you ever made uh, an albatross anywhere else, or was that the only one ever? Nope. That's my one and only. Yeah, I mean, do it. I think the only other hole that I'd rather do it on is Pebble. <laughs> yeah, that would be phenomenal. Um, that would so, be pretty awesome. So listen, I was I was talking with Jason Sobel the other day, and he told me to ask you. He said, okay. "Ask Jason why Bubba Watson owes him everything." And <laughs> and, and he told me that you would have a great story for this. So I didn't press him. I didn't ask him any more questions. Um, I figured I'd ask you. So that year in 05, I was number two on the money list. I played 12 events and was number two on the money list. Troy Madison was number one on the money list. Um, so I had won three times, got the, um, the, the promotion of the tour, and... My fourth start out, I had one on tour. So back then, they took 20 on the money list. And so since I finished second on the money list, but I had one on tour, they took my name off of the money list. Bubba Watson finished 21st, and he moved up to 20th. He got his card, and now he has two masters, and I'm playing in Puerto Rico. I, I I hope at some point Bubba sent maybe a Christmas card with him in his green jacket or something, you know, thanking you for that. Yeah. 
That, that, that one might hit the shredder. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did, in, in great bubble fashion, he did send me like two dozen pink roses. Oh, well, I, I thought it was kind of odd. Odd, but I, I liked it. You know, it was a nice, it was a nice gesture. Yeah. I guess it's better than two dozen so, pink vulvic balls. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, he, I, I'm super proud. He, he's done great. He's done great for the game. And, and you know, winning two, two masters, like, how do you... Say something bad about it. Yeah, it's, like that, it's, so, it's crazy. And and just for the yeah, just for the people out there, Jason's referring to um, there's a battlefield promotion. If you win three times in the nationwide tour, you automatically it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You automatically get your tour card, or you're automatically on, um, or you can automatically play the tour events for the remainder of the year. Which one is that? Both. Okay. Both. So you okay. Can, you're automatically. You you go straight. You get your tour card straight there, and you get the next season as well. Okay, so it would be the same as as guys this year finishing in the twenty five. Correct. Okay, I would be at the number one of that. Yeah, there's a there's a category above that. I believe it's still that way, but I would go in front of everybody there. It would basically be I basically would finish one twenty five a. Gotcha. That makes sense. So okay, yeah. Perfect. I wouldn't be 126 because I would have a full card, but I would be put at the end of the guys who kept their card. Yes. Now, would you, if you got that Battlefield promotion, are you still uh, subject to the Nationwide Tour reshuffle that happens on tour, or no? Do you bypass uh, not, not back, Not back then you were. Okay. It's, so it's kind of like the same way of guys who come out and finish number one on the web.com tour money list. Yes. And guys who win the web.com tour finals. So they are not shut. They're not subject to being reshuffled. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. So obviously, um, people that follow us follow the PGA tour pretty in depth, and they, they understand that it's kind of. Uh, for for lack of a better term, and what I always coin it is is basically an enormous traveling circus. Um, how difficult is that for you as a family guy to be away from the family for, you know, extended periods of time. It's awful. I mean, I, you're never going to ever hear me complain about being able to play professional golf for a living. I think it's, it's the greatest job. It's the hardest way to make an easy living. You know, it's the best way I've ever heard it described. But, you know, we have, I married my high school sweetheart. I, I you know, I, I, I will always love her, but I still like her. If that makes any sense, <laughs> yep, like we yep. still, like, I think that's that's the most important thing in a, in a relationship. You still have to like each other. But anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, like we have a fourteen-year-old son who who's got super high-functioning autism. So he, you know, he's, he's very normal. He just thinks he's a Power Ranger, which is kind of awesome. <laughs> I'm kind of jealous of that. That's not a bad way um, to live, man. No, he's just, he's like, Dad, I don't like reality. I'm like, dude, I get it. I don't <laughs> Neither even, do I. Like, I get it, man. Like, like, let me in. I want to, I want to be where you're at. This is awesome. Um, but, um, you know, he's, and we, and we have a 10 year old daughter who is, you know, going on 30. She's got it all figured out. <laughs> Anybody that has ever had a 10 year old daughter knows completely what I'm talking about. She's, she, she, she's into, uh, Acting, she she does plays, and she's got just this absolutely beautifully booming voice. But she's an unbelievable singer. She, 
she's she sounds like Adele at ten. So and I mean, I, you know, I'm probably biased. Obviously, I'm the, I'm the father, but um, she's just she's an amazing human being, and I just I don't like I don't want to miss out on their lives. You know, like if you have a full time tour card. Okay, you can kind of understand because you can make their lives better. You can make their kids' lives better. You can make their grandkids' lives better. Right. But at 44, for me to be on the web.com tour, and it's an awesome place. I don't ever want anybody to, to misconstrue what I'm saying. That, you know, like, oh, the place sucks. I'm not saying that at all. It's a great place for a 24-year-old. You know, for somebody who's, whose only job is how many under par they're going to shoot and where they're going to eat tonight. That you know that that's that's a different thing. I think it's a great place, but just not where I'm at. Right, those guys don't. Got, you know, the, my kids' lives aren't worth missing for that tour. Yeah, if, if you can, you know, if you know what I mean. So, um, you know, I've been looking at doing other stuff. Um, we own an insurance company now, or insurance brokerage, and it's just kind of life. Life goes on. Like I, I, I just love. I love my family. They're they're awesome and, and magical and all this stuff and and I, I love being there. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love being in Puerto Rico. I love playing golf and I, I love everything about it. But um, you know, it, it just it's probably time for you know to look into the future. And you know, I got Champions Tour coming to you know, PGA Tour Champions coming down the down, coming down the pike a little bit quicker than I thought. Um. Well, but with a bad back and all this stuff, I got I got an annular fissure in my L5, so I basically got a cut in my disc. And so when it gets irritated, it leaks, and I guess whatever comes out of that is super inflammatory. So, you know, it's, it's, at least that's what I was told. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I just play one on TV. But um, I, uh, I'm ready to move on. I, I, I'm, you know, this has been awesome. I love it. I've, I, I thank God every day for it. But, um, you know, I just, I'm ready. Yeah. No, I mean, you make a phenomenal point about the nationwide tour. You have literally what amounts to a bunch of early 20 somethings who really don't have any. I don't want to cut on all of them, but they don't have much real life experience. Most of these guys are going from playing in college right to that. And, all of life that they know is travel, play golf, eat, travel, play golf, eat, work out, you know, and they might have a significant other, they might have a girlfriend, they might not. But I think that's a great point that you make that once you get into the real world and real life, those things are really what's important in life. Yeah, they, they just don't have the responsibilities. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, complete sense. No, so, they, don't, they, they don't have little people to feed. Right, you know, little little, little mouths to feed, and, and you know, wives, you know, trying to figure out where the heck you're going and what are you doing, and you know, and she's been super supportive. I mean, I'm not saying that negatively. It's just, you know, it's like I call her up and like, can you get me out of here? Well, yeah, sure. You know, <laughs> give me the next week, or can you can you help me do this? It's like she doesn't know what's what's going on, and you know, staring at four walls, four of the same walls every week. It, it's um. It's, uh, I'm ready to move on. When you're out playing, and, and this happens to me a, a ton, like a lot of times my wife will try to push me out of the house to play. You know, hey, go play. You haven't played in a while. Like take the time for yourself and enjoy it. 
And I get out there and I'm on like the third or fourth hole and I go to myself, oh, like, you know what I want now? Like, I want my kids with me playing. I want my wife to see this, you know, gorgeous vista on the course. You, you ever feel like that when you're out playing in, in tour events? Yeah, I, I, all the time. Like, it, it, you just, you know, we, you know, if you ever watch the, the dog, the Westminster Dog Show, Mm-hmm. Both of our kids, or Jackson, our son, he, let's just say he's a non-sporting type dog. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, he's never going to play golf. He, I'll tell you a story right now. I haven't told many people, and I'll just tell the podcast. This is, this is how he thinks. He's a super deep thinker. So he played golf from two to five years old, right? Went through so many different sets of plastic clubs. Just has a great swing. I've got, like, slow-motion pictures of him swinging golf clubs when he was three years old, and it was a joke how good it was, right? Right. So one day he just stopped playing. And I go, Jackson, like, do you want to go out the back and hit some balls? No. Why not? I don't like golf. I go, well, what do you mean you don't like golf? He goes, I don't like it because it takes you away. Mm. And he's like four, three or four at this time. I was like, oh, my gosh. That's like he, he put all that together. It's like I'm a professional golfer. This is what I do. He does, when I go do it, I, I leave. It's like you just take the knife out of my heart. Right? Yeah. So I never ever forced him to play again. He thinks golf. He's like, oh, he, he relates to it. His daddy's got a you know golf golf like daddy do a bad back, you know, and he's in pain and like I don't want to do that. He's like, can't you just retire? Yeah, it's a that's a <laughs> real interesting perspective. You want the lights on, kid. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, like they, they during the summer they travel with me and it's great and you know you get to you get to see stuff especially through his eyes. You know you can be like, yeah, look at that. And you'd be like, wow, I would have never saw that. I would have never seen that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, like I wish I had moments like that to share with him. You know, like last week at Pebble, I don't know, if, you know, I'm treating every week like it's my last right now. So, because um, you never know, like what what the future holds, but. Um, you know, walking down the 18th hole at Pebble Beach, I brought my wife inside the ropes because we got married at the 18th hole at Pebble. You know, and it was, what I continued to tell her was the best day of her life because <laughs> um, she got to marry me. Which is, <laughs> we weren't even sure you could find the sarcasm in that. Um, uh, you know, like I pulled her inside the ropes, like, come on, just, just walk. And, you know, she kind of walked inside the ropes on 18 and, you know, thinking, you know, this could be my last hole. And I did my darndest. I just stood up on the tee, aimed on the left side over the ocean on the left to right wind and just smashed one and hit it down there, hit three iron up in the bunker, got it up and down. It was like, well, if this is going to be my mic drop moment, this is the way I want it to be. Her standing here by my side, 50 yards away from where we got married, making birdie a pebble, and I'm done. That would be a phenomenal, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a phenomenal end uh, to a story. So uh, real quick, I mean, so you, you talk about how golf is really kind of a part-time thing for you. Um, so that just gets me to ask this next question. How the hell are you playing so well? Because I, I, I just don't care. Yeah. I, I mean, oh, I my God. Of, yeah, I, I care, but I kind of, like, stop practicing. I stop worrying about my golf swing. Yes. I just go out, get shots. I mean, I didn't, I didn't touch a club two weeks before RSM. And I just kind of went out and just hit golf shots like a kid. 
Yes. And just walked up and just was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to head over here and whack. Like, I didn't worry about where I was at, at the top of my swing or where I was at, at impact. It was just like, yeah, I'm just going to hit it over there. You don't know how that, much that... The way I played, and once I got under pressure, I started thinking like, okay, well, you know, I have to do this. And I got out of being, you know, the, the, the 12-year-old kid that was just like, yeah, I'm just going to hit this ball and make it go over there. Yeah. You don't know how much that speaks to my heart because, you know, and, and, and trust me when I say that I am a good golfer, it is, you know, I'm not trying to put myself on any level whatsoever, but I had some, you know, amateurs, <clears throat> excuse me, success. And a buddy of mine said to me, he said, Hey dude, don't, don't chase like that dragon. Don't chase that dream of ever becoming even a good amateur golfer, because as soon as you become good, you're going to hate the game. And I thought, yeah, that's crazy. Like, I love this. You know what I mean? Like, I, there's nothing I like more in my free time than playing golf. But I did get relatively good. You know, and I got down to a legit scratch. And then I would go out and shoot 75, and it affected my mood. Or I'd go out and play an amateur tournament and finish, like, in 10th place and go, I just beat that guy at the club yesterday. And it really you know, made me miserable for a good four or five years. And then my, my first son was born. And I didn't get to play as much. And my game went to just crap. And it wasn't until they started picking up the game. And just like you said, I didn't care anymore. If the ball went OB, awesome. I got enough money to buy another ball, you know. And I just played golf. And I have not loved the game more in probably the last 10 years or so. Because – I just I didn't care anymore. Yeah, they, like there's a fine line between going out and playing golf and playing golf swing. Yes. You know, like you can go out there and try to work on your swing and and stuff like that, but really it just comes down to hitting the shot. And, and I used to I used to work with a guy named Preston Waddington. He was a, he was a psychologist. He wasn't even a sports psychologist. He was more like a psychoanalyst. And he, was, he told me this story one time that really kind of wrung some heartstrings on me. He was, he was a big Fred Astaire fan for some reason. I don't know why. He was an older guy. But um, he said Fred Astaire used to have a dance studio. And he would put chalk down on the ground, and he would practice his dance moves. To hours on hours, he'd practice. He'd step on the chalk, you know, just one, two, three, working on his moves. And he said, but when the music started and he grabbed Ginger... He just danced. Yeah, just went and out it and did like, it. Holy smoke, like that gave me goosebumps. It gives me goosebumps right now. You know, you, you think you go out on the range and you work on your golf swing and you, you try to get in the perfect positions and try to hit that perfect little draw that you're trying to hit, you know, all this stuff and try to get the club in the perfect spot. But then when you get to the first tee, go dance. Yeah. That's a, that's a great, I think that's a great philosophy for life as well, not just golf. So listen, let me yeah, it, let me uh, exactly. You just go dance. Yeah, life is, about, life is one big dance. Let me let me get you out of here with just some rapid fire ones. Uh, like I said, I don't want to monopolize your time, and, and just more than thankful for the time you've given us so far. Um, this is not even a question I had written down, but can can golf still be fun between the ropes for tour pros? Is yeah. it still is it still fun for you between the ropes? Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love competing. It's um, it's just built that way. You know, you either love it or you hate it. The yeah. people that hate it, 
are, are gone. You know, I, I love I love being part of it. I mean, I'm just I I, I love the electricity. I love everything that comes about it. I love you know showing off kind of thing because that's what you have to kind of do. You get that many people around, you got to be like, hey, watch this. Yeah, it's still entertainment. You know. I'm sorry. I said it's still entertainment. You know, you still got to entertain the fans. That, that's it. I mean, they, they're paying. You know, people, we're very fortunate that people pay a lot. You know, a lot of money to come see us do what we do, and you know, you have to you have to engage and you have to enjoy it. And uh, you know, a lot of times you just have to thank people for coming. Like you know, if I walk over to the side of the ropes and then you know the. I, I'm, not, I'm guilty of not doing it, but I'll try to be like, you know, engage with the fan. And always, I try to, I'm sure there's somebody listening out there that I didn't do it. So <laughs> I, I, I always try to be like, hey, thanks for coming out. You know, because that, that's, that's the heartbeat of our tour. The yeah. heartbeat of our tour is people coming out and watching us and turning, tuning in on TV. And, you know, without, without them, we're just a bunch of idiots running around the field. And that happens. Yeah. <laughs> in, that happens in no other sport. There's no other sport where, you know, a guy is going to come out of the dugout and thank you. That a dude's going to jump up into the stands after a touchdown and thank you for being there. They kind of expect it, but the yeah, tour. I mean, we're, we're really the only one that acknowledge fans. I mean, you know, we, we make a pot and people clap and kind of say thanks. You know, it's, yep. Like I think, I think fans are are, are an integral part of, you know, coming out to a tournament or being, you know, being a PJ tour player, like, you know, that they're, they're filling quote unquote, our stands by walking the fairway. And, you know, you get guys that hit home runs in major league baseball. They don't, unless they do a curtain call, you know, you don't see that very much anymore. They just want, you know, nobody's saying thank you. And if you, if you do say thank you, you're getting one in the ear hole. Yeah. The pitcher next time you're up. Yeah. Yeah, you exactly. It's, it's just kind of, it's just it's kind of what we do. You don't do that in baseball, and it's you know rightfully so. You're showing up the other team, but you know it's like we're all individuals, and it's you know it's kind of come to normal practice to say thanks to the fans, and you know you're not showing up the guy you're playing with. Like, right? Yeah, I think there, there's so many people that I speak to all the time about golf, and I you know I mean I love talking sports and love talking golf. And people say, well, how can you go to these tour events? Like, that's boring. I watch golf on TV and it's boring. I'm just like, oh, like, just please go to one and see what it's actually like. Because I don't think television does a good job, a good enough job in translating everything that goes on at a tour event. I mean, like, quick story. I was at um, the playoffs last year in Jersey you know, and, and we're sitting there and the PGA Tour live crew is there and the guys are just, you know, chatting with us and whatnot. And uh, here comes Tony Fee now and my son, my oldest son goes to give him a high five and Tony didn't see him, no big deal. Goes past him and, Phil's, and Phil comes past because they're playing together and uh, he said, no high five. He goes here and gives my son a ball. Like, it's sitting right above me now as, you know, we record this. And that's something he will never, ever forget. Phil Mickelson gave him a golf ball that he played with, you know, or somebody came and said like you up to him, Hey, you guys enjoying yourself today? You know, thanks for coming out. That's amazing. You don't get that in other sports. No, you don't get an interaction like that. I mean, it's, uh, that's, what's great about it. And it's cool that, that, you know, guys, especially like the younger guys are now getting it. Yes. You know, you get Jordan and Justin, 
and Ricky and all these guys, and they get it. They're, they're, they're playing towards the crowd. They realize they're entertainers. And, you know, it's, it's, I think the game's in, in really good hands. And, um, you know, it, it's just one of those things that's, it's, it's turned into entertainment. And these guys, you know, they, have, they all have their own thing. They have their own special thing they do. Um, you know, Ricky with his, the way he dresses, and me, Justin is just, you know, down to his fancy shoes. Yeah. You got to carve yourself a little niche here, you know, here and there. Yeah. Yeah. You got to, you got to, you know, you got to have your, your, uh, your signature, I guess is what it would be. Right. Right. All right, Jace, let's, uh, let's let you off the hook with some of these just real quick questions. All right. Uh, we're just going to go through favorites right here. Uh, favorite music. Anything with real musicians. Okay. Now you play. Am I correct? I dabble. <laughs> I'm like I'm like a ten handicap guitarist. Okay, well, a guitar player. A guitarist is somebody who's good. I'm a guitar. I play guitar. Okay, gotcha. Uh, ever play in any bands or anything? I have. I've actually played on stage with Steel Panther at the at the uh, House of Blues in L.A. before they tore it down. I actually played with Kiefer Sutherland, who's a member at our golf course at Lakeside Golf Club on stage with him last year in this thing they called the clam bake where um now that I go into a long story it's a semi long story. So Lakeside Golf Club was kind of started by Bob Hope and the like kind of the rap package kind of people. Okay. Um so they've always had this one show every year that the members go up and entertain other members. So Keeper Sutherland's got a really good band and I went up and played with him and I played guitar on uh or this other member's wife who sang a Justin Timberlake song. So, like, I know where to go on the guitar, but I got short, fat fingers, so I can't really... Like, I, I know how to play lead. It's just not very quick. So you put me on a ballad, and I sound really good, but if you... Like, Van Halen is completely out of touch for me. Gotcha. It ain't gotcha. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I've been, on, I've been on stage a few times, like, just playing kind of rhythm guitar and stuff like that. So, um, I, know, I know, you know, most of my chords where I can sound not embarrassing. And then, I have like 21 guitars. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do anything bad. So that's like my thing. I love guitars. I think they're worse of art. Right. That's your vice. Um, so what, sorry, what was that? I was going to say that's, that's your one and only vice, it seems like. Yeah, that's my, that's my thing. I love them. So what music are you currently listening to? Like if you give us two, three bands that might be in rotation. Oh, gosh. Like, I've kind of gotten back into, like, the old rock. Like, oh, let me let me see what's, like, I've recently... I've, I've been listening to a bunch of cult. The cult. Okay, yep, yep. Um, I, I've actually kind of really gotten into Pink Floyd. I don't know why. I just kind of have. Um, I, 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 I'm buddies with Timberlake. He's another member. So I, I think that left side. So I listen to his stuff. I got to, you know, do that. Um but I kind of got into like old like '90s rock. I got into, um, but I've always kind of been a country guy. I just like anything with like real musicians. I, I'm right. looking at right now my iPod. I got the Eagles, to Pink, to Jake Owen, to the Greatest Showman. I, you know, I just I got NXS, you know, like Incubus, a bunch of Mighty Mighty Boston's. I, I I just I kind of put it on random and just let it go. Gotcha, gotcha. And probably different songs and different bands for, you know, different phases of your life. 
Yeah, just different moods, you know. If I want to just kind of like chill out, I put on John Mayer, I put on the Continuum album. It was like that was the only album I ever wish I smoked weed. <laughs> you know, and I never have. I, I just, I just like you listen to that album and it's so mellow. And it's just like, gosh, I can just see why people don't want to smoke weed. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a phenomenal album. I actually I saw him uh, in Philly during that tour, and it was uh, it was insane. It was insane. Unbelievable guitar player. Yeah. Unbelievable guitarist. He, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan, him like they just like it blows me away to be a professional athlete, right? And to know how much we all screw up, some some of us more than others, and to sit there and watch them play and never miss a note. Right what it seems like but but it, they it, will it's, it's dumbfounding to me yeah they will tell you though and i and, and i i mean music is my other passion i've played in bands and stuff but they will tell you that you know they do mess up it's just that they cover it up so well and when you're playing live there's there's a lot of reverb and and, and feedback too that some of the individual notes do get lost you know and guys will tell you all the time like oh i screwed up that that solo and you're like, oh, I didn't hear that at all. And like, yeah, but we did. You know, I guess it's just like for you guys. You know, you could be like, not nah, hit. I, I hit two good shots that round, and I'm like, you shot a 63, dude. What are you talking about? You know? Yeah, yeah. It's I guess it's that's what that's kind of the art form behind it. Yeah, it's all if relative. You Eric, if you listen to Eric Clapton Unplugged, that old album, like you can hear him. You know, on acoustic guitar, you can't hide anything. You're right. Not, you're not running behind martial arts or anything. <laughs> yep. So, um, you know, you can hear him mess up, but the way he messes up is so musical that it just, it, it sounds great. Like, you know, it's, it's like he, he never short-sighted himself. Is that a good way to put it? Uh, I was going to, I was going to, yeah, that's, that's absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. I was going to say uh, uh, a golfer that knows where the miss is. Yes. Yeah. He never short-sighted himself. He always, you know, he always leaves himself the uphiller. So that, so, so I'm assuming... Music is 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 probably a big big hobby for you. Would would you consider that your number one hobby? Yeah, I would. I, I you know it's, I, I'm so fascinated by great musicians because you you understand how hard they work and how much time they put into it to master their craft. You know, like going back to like even Chad Atkins. You know, it's like any guy that can hand over a card that says guitar master. It's like, yeah, man, you, you spent your time. You, you, know, so <laughs> it's, um, you know how much time they put into it, and you, know, you, can, you can feel their passion in what they do, and it, it's, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Hey, uh, so last question I want to ask. This comes from my, my co-host, normally Scott, and he wants to know what your favorite course is on tour and why it is your favorite course. Um, my favorite course to play or my favorite golf course to be at? Or, I, th- I you think know, some... knowing him, I'm going to say favorite course to be at. I don't think he's so concerned about the, the playing aspect or the, the holes or the, or the architecture of it. I think maybe more behind the scenes type thing. Like, you know, you always hear Jack's tournament, the milkshakes are the greatest thing in the world. Something along those lines. So I think the best golf course I've played on tour, I've never played Augusta, I've never gotten in the Masters, um, would be Riviera, but my favorite place to play is Pebble. Gotcha. I just, I like I said, we got married up there. It's just, it, it's just such a special place. I won Cal-Am up there. Um, 
it's such a special place to me. And like being, you know, semi golf dork or complete golf dork, semi golf historian. Like you just think of all the cool stuff that's happened there. The people that have walked on those fairways, and the same with Riv. You know, it's like you know the, the Opens that have been at at Pebble Beach. You know, I'm kind of like like the USGA guy. Like I love like Open Championship, US Open Championship. So um, it's just the, the cool stuff that has happened at Pebble Beach, from Nicholas hitting the flag with a one iron into the wind on 17. To Watson chipping in, to Tiger holding out. You know, that was just at the AT and T. But him holding out from ninety-seven yards, and you know, coming back to beating that goal. It's just stuff like that. Like, you know, it's there's just so much cool stuff that's happening. Knowing that number eight is Jack Nicklaus's favorite hole ever. You know, it's like to think of the the footsteps that have been on that property. It's uh, pretty special. So yeah. that 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 one gives me the. the the warm and fuzzies every time I play there. You could literally do a historical chronology of the game just with the people that have passed through that course. Yeah. And and you yeah, wouldn't miss golfers much. Golfers and non-golfers. Yeah. Yeah. Think about, think about the powerful people that have played there, you know, just, just at the at and just at, you know, just the battle event. Think of the, the power that's walked through that golf course. You know, when you, when you walk through the, the tent and there's Condoleezza Rice, you know, or, you know, there's, you know, anybody that's, that's just think of the people that are in that tent. And uh, it's just, a, it's a cool thing to, to just walk around and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm walking the same fairway as these people are. And it's, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and it's also very cool that you have such a deep connection with the place, um, you know, with you and your wife as well. And I'm sure that kind of, you know, accentuates the greatness that is Pebble Beach. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those places that, I mean, you probably shouldn't tell this, but even like when we've had dogs pass, we've taken ashes and kind of scattered it down below like the 18th grade. That's probably highly illegal. But you can, <laughs> if you can uh, take that out of this box. No, I'm kidding. We won't let people know. (laughs) Like our dogs, like we had two Labradors that were purebreds, and we had to give them, you know, like the purebred name. So one was called Cypress Point, the other was called Pebble Beach. (laughs) You know, so that that area is just is special. So if I, you know, if this question was, if I had one day to live, where am I going to play? That would be my answer. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Jason, look, I, I cannot thank you enough. Um, I also am beyond appreciative uh, of your time because I know it is tournament week, and I just can't thank you enough for how in-depth you went and, and how much you share with all of us. Um, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on, and uh, sorry it took so long. I'm a little spidey. No, no worries at all. No worries at all. All right, people, so like we say at the end of uh, – Every episode, you either get busy golfing or get busy dying. Thanks, Jace. Thank you so much.
It's quite pungent. Oh, yeah. Stings the nostrils. In a good way. Yeah. Brian, I'm gonna be honest with you, that smells like pure gasoline. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense.